Question 31, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 31. Of the matter from which the Saviour's body was conceived, in eight articles. Part 2. Articles 5 through 8. Fifth article. Whether the flesh of Christ was conceived in the Virgin's purest blood. Objection 1. It would seem that the flesh of Christ was not conceived of the Virgin's purest blood. For it is said in the Collect for the Feast of the Annunciation that God willed that his word should take flesh from a virgin. But flesh differs from blood. Therefore Christ's body was not taken from the Virgin's blood. Objection to further. As the woman was miraculously formed from the man, so Christ's body was formed miraculously from the virgin. But the woman is not said to have been formed from the man's blood, but rather from his flesh and bones, according to Genesis 2.23. This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It seems, therefore, that neither should Christ's body have been formed from the virgin's blood, but from her flesh and bones. Objection 3 further. Christ's body was of the same species as other men's bodies. But other men's bodies are not formed from the purest blood, but from the semen and the menstrual blood. Therefore, it seems that neither was Christ's body conceived of the purest blood of the Virgin. On the contrary, Damascene says, in On the True Faith 3, that the Son of God from the Virgin's purest blood, formed himself flesh, animated with a rational soul. I answer that, as stated above in Article 4, in Christ's conception, his being born of a woman was in accordance with the laws of nature, but that he was born of a virgin was above the laws of nature. Now such is the law of nature, that in the generation of an animal, the female supplies the matter, while the male is the active principle of generation, as the philosopher proves, in the generation of animals one. But a woman who conceives of a man is not a virgin, and consequently it belongs to the supernatural mode of Christ's generation that the active principle of generation was the supernatural power of God, but it belongs to the natural mode of his generation that the matter from which his body was conceived is similar to the matter which other women supply for the conception of their offspring. Now this matter, according to the philosopher, is the woman's blood, not any of her blood, but brought to a more perfect stage of secretion by the mother's generative power, so as to be apt for conception. And therefore of such matter was Christ's body conceived. Reply to Objection 1 since the Blessed Virgin was of the same nature as other women, 
it follows that she had flesh and bones of the same nature as theirs. Now flesh and bones in other women are actual parts of the body, the integrity of which results therefrom. And consequently, they cannot be taken from the body without its being corrupted or diminished. But as Christ came to heal what was corrupt, it was not fitting that he should bring corruption or diminution to the integrity of his mother. Therefore it was becoming that Christ's body should be formed not from the flesh or bones of the virgin, but from her blood, which as yet is not actually a part, but is potentially the whole, as stated in On the Generation of Animals 1. Hence he is said to have taken flesh from the virgin, not that the matter from which his body was formed was actual flesh, but blood, which is flesh potentially. Reply to Objection 2 As stated in the first part, Question 92, Article 3, Second Reply, Adam, through being established as a kind of principle of human nature, had in his body a certain proportion of flesh and bone which belonged to him, not as an integral part of his personality, but in regard to his state as a principle of human nature. And from this was the woman formed without detriment to the man. But in the virgin's body there was nothing of this sort, from which Christ's body could be formed without detriment to his mother's body. Reply to Objection 3 Woman's semen is not apt for generation, but is something imperfect in the seminal order, which, on account of the imperfection of the female power, it has not been possible to bring to complete seminal perfection. Consequently, the semen is not the necessary matter of conception, as the philosopher states. Wherefore, there was none such in Christ's conception. All the more since, though it is imperfect in the seminal order, a certain concupiscence accompanies its omission, as also that of the male semen, whereas in that virginal conception there could be no concupiscence. Wherefore Damascene says, in On the True Faith 3, that Christ's body was not conceived seminally, but the menstrual blood, the flow of which is subject to monthly periods, has a certain natural impurity of corruption, like other superfluities which nature does not heed and therefore expels. Of such menstrual blood infected with corruption and repudiated by nature, the conception is not formed, but from a certain secretion of the pure blood which by a process of elimination is prepared for conception, being, as it were, more pure and more perfect than the rest of the body. Nevertheless, it is tainted with the impurity of lust in the conception of other men, inasmuch as by sexual intercourse this blood is drawn to a place apt for conception. This, however, did not take place in Christ's conception, because this blood was brought together in the virgin's womb and fashioned into a child by the operation of the Holy Ghost. Therefore is Christ's body said to be formed of the most chaste and purest blood of the virgin. Sixth article. Whether Christ's body was in Adam and the other patriarchs as to something signet. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ's body was in Adam and the patriarchs as to something signet. 
for augustine says in on the literal meaning of genesis ten that the flesh of christ was in adam and abraham by way of a bodily substance but bodily substance is something signet therefore christ's flesh was in adam abraham and the other patriarchs according to something signet objection to further it is said in romans one three that christ was made of the seed of david according to the flesh but the seed of david was something signet in him therefore christ was in david according to something signet and for the same reason in the other patriarchs objection three further the human race is christ's kindred inasmuch as he took flesh therefrom but if that flesh were not something signet in adam the human race which is descended from adam would seem to have no kindred with christ but rather with those other things from which the matter of his flesh was taken therefore it seems that christ's flesh was in adam and the other patriarchs according to something signet on the contrary augustine says in on the literal meaning of genesis ten that in whatever way christ was in adam and abraham other men were there also but not conversely but other men were not in adam and abraham by way of some signet matter but only according to origin as stated in the first part in question one hundred and nineteen article one and in article two fourth reply therefore neither was christ in adam and abraham according to something signet and for the same reason neither was he in the other patriarchs i answer that as stated above in article five first reply the matter of christ's body was not the flesh and bones of the blessed virgin nor anything that was actually a part of her body but her blood which was her flesh potentially now whatever was in the blessed virgin as received from her parents was actually a part of her body consequently that which the blessed virgin received from her parents was not the matter of christ's body therefore we must say that christ's body was not in adam and the other patriarchs according to something signet in the sense that some part of adam's or of any one else's body could be singled out and designated as the very matter from which christ's body was to be formed but it was there according to origin just as was the flesh of other men for christ's body is related to adam and the other patriarchs through the medium of his mother's body consequently christ's body was in the patriarchs in no other way than was his mother's body which was not in the patriarchs according to signet matter as neither were the bodies of other men as stated in the first part question one hundred and nineteen article one as well as in article two fourth reply reply to objection one the expression christ was in adam according to bodily substance does not mean that christ's body was a bodily substance in adam but that the bodily substance of christ's body that is the matter which he took from the virgin was in adam as in its active principle but not as in its material principle in other words by the generative power of adam and his descendants down to the blessed virgin this matter was prepared for christ's conception 
but this matter was not fashioned into Christ's body by the seminal power derived from Adam. Therefore Christ is said to have been in Adam by way of origin, according to bodily substance, but not according to seminal virtue. Reply to Objection 2 Although Christ's body was not in Adam and the other patriarchs, according to seminal virtue, yet the Blessed Virgin's body was thus in them, through her being conceived from the seed of a man. For this reason, through the medium of the Blessed Virgin, Christ is said to be the seed of David, according to the flesh, by way of origin. Reply to Objection 3 Christ and the human race are kindred through the likeness of species. Now specific likeness results not from remote but from proximate matter, and from the active principle which begets its like in species. Thus, then, the kinship of Christ and the human race is sufficiently preserved by his body being formed from the virgin's blood, derived in its origin from Adam and the other patriarchs. Nor is this kindred affected by the matter whence this blood is taken, as neither is it in the generation of other men, as stated in the first part. Question 119, Article 2, Third Reply. Seventh Article. Whether Christ's flesh in the patriarchs was infected by sin. Objection 1 it would seem that Christ's flesh was not infected by sin in the patriarchs. For it is written in Wisdom 7.25 that No defiled thing cometh into divine wisdom. But Christ is the wisdom of God, according to 1 Corinthians 1.24. Therefore, Christ's flesh was never defiled by sin. Objection to further. Damascene says in On the True Faith 3 that Christ assumed the first fruits of our nature. But in the primitive state, human flesh was not infected by sin. Therefore, Christ's flesh was not infected either in Adam or in the other patriarchs. Objection 3 further. Augustine says in On the Literal Meaning of Genesis 10 that human nature ever had, together with the wound, the balm with which to heal it. But that which is infected cannot heal a wound, rather does it need to be healed itself. Therefore, in human nature there was ever something preserved from infection, from which afterwards Christ's body was formed. On the contrary, Christ's body is not related to Adam and the other patriarchs, save through the medium of the Blessed Virgin's body, of whom he took flesh. But the body of the Blessed Virgin was wholly conceived in original sin as stated above in Question 14, Article 3, First Reply, and thus, as far as it was in the patriarchs, it was subject to sin. Therefore the flesh of Christ, as far as it was in the patriarchs, was subject to sin. I answer that, when we say that Christ or his flesh was in Adam and the other patriarchs, we compare him or his flesh to Adam and the other patriarchs. Now it is manifest that the condition of the patriarchs differed from that of Christ. For the patriarchs were subject to sin, 
whereas Christ was absolutely free from sin. Consequently, a twofold error may occur on this point. First, by attributing to Christ, or to his flesh, that condition which was in the patriarchs, by saying, for instance, that Christ sinned in Adam, since after some fashion he was in him. But this is false, because Christ was not in Adam in such a way that Adam's sin belonged to Christ. For as much as he is not descended from him according to the law of concupiscence, or according to seminal virtue, as stated above in Article 1, Third Reply, as well as in Article 6, First Reply, and in Question 15, Article 1, Second Reply. Secondly, error may occur by attributing the condition of Christ or of his flesh to that which was actually in the patriarchs, by saying, for instance, that because Christ's flesh, as existing in Christ, was not subject to sin, Therefore in Adam also and in the patriarchs there was some part of his body that was not subject to sin, and from which afterwards Christ's body was formed, as some indeed held. For this is quite impossible. First, because Christ's flesh was not in Adam and in the other patriarchs, according to something signet, distinguishable from the rest of his flesh, as pure from impure, as already stated in Article 6. Secondly, because since human flesh is infected by sin, through being conceived in lust, just as the entire flesh of a man is conceived through lust, so also is it entirely defiled by sin. Consequently, we must say that the entire flesh of the patriarchs was subjected to sin, nor was there anything in them that was free from sin, and from which afterwards Christ's body could be formed. Reply to Objection 1. Christ did not assume the flesh of the human race subject to sin, but cleansed from all infection of sin. Thus it is that no defiled thing cometh into the wisdom of God. Reply to Objection 2. Christ is said to have assumed the first fruits of our nature as to the likeness of condition. Forasmuch as he assumed flesh not infected by sin, like unto the flesh of man before sin. But this is not to be understood to imply a continuation of that primitive purity, as though the flesh of innocent man was preserved in its freedom from sin until the formation of Christ's body. Reply to Objection 3. Before Christ there was actually in human nature a wound, that is, the infection of original sin. But the balm to heal the wound was not there actually, but only by a certain virtue of origin, for as much as from those patriarchs the flesh of Christ was to be propagated. Eighth Article Whether Christ Paid Tithes in Abraham's Loins Objection 1. It would seem that Christ paid tithes in Abraham's loins, for the Apostle says in Hebrews 7, verses 6 through 9, that Levi, the great-grandson of Abraham, paid tithes in Abraham, because when the latter paid tithes to Melchizedek, he was yet in his loins. In like manner, Christ was in Abraham's loins when the latter paid tithes. Therefore, Christ himself also paid tithes in Abraham. 
Objection to further. Christ is of the seed of Abraham according to the flesh which he received from his mother. But his mother paid tithes in Abraham. Therefore, for a like reason did Christ. Objection 3 further. In Abraham tithe was levied on that which needed healing. As Augustine says in On the Literal Meaning of Genesis 10, but all flesh subject to sin needed healing since therefore christ's flesh was the subject of sin as stated above in article seven it seems that christ's flesh paid tithes in abraham objection for further this does not seem to be at all derogatory to christ's dignity for the fact that the father of a bishop pays tithes to a priest does not hinder his son, the bishop, from being of a higher rank than an ordinary priest? Consequently, although we may say that Christ paid tithes when Abraham paid them to Melchizedek, it does not follow that Christ was not greater than Melchizedek. On the contrary, Augustine says, in On the Literal Meaning of Genesis 10, that Christ did not pay tithes there, that is, in Abraham, for his flesh derived from him not the heat of the wound, but the matter of the antidote. I answer that. It behooves us to say that the sense of the passage quoted from the Apostle is that Christ did not pay tithes in Abraham. For the Apostle proves that the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priesthood, from the fact that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, while Levi, from whom the legal priesthood was derived, was yet in his loins. Now if Christ had also paid tithes in Abraham, his priesthood would not have been according to the order of Melchizedek, but of a lower order. Consequently, we must say that Christ did not pay tithes in Abraham's loins as Levi did. For since he who pays a tithe keeps nine parts to himself, and surrenders the tenth to another, inasmuch as the number ten is the sign of perfection, as being, in a sort, the terminus of all numbers which mount from one to ten, it follows that he who pays a tithe bears witness to his own imperfection and to the perfection of another. Now to sin is due to the imperfection of the human race, which needs to be perfected by him who cleanses from sin. But to heal from sin belongs to Christ alone, for he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, according to John 1.29, whose figure was Melchizedek, as the Apostle proves in Hebrews 7. Therefore, by giving tithes to Melchizedek, Abraham foreshadowed that he, as being conceived in sin, and all who were to be his descendants in contracting original sin, needed that healing which is through Christ. And Isaac, Jacob, and Levi, and all the others were in Abraham in such a way so as to be descended from him, not only as to bodily substance, but also as to seminal virtue, by which original sin is transmitted. Consequently, they all paid tithes in Abraham, that is, foreshadowed as needing to be healed by Christ. 
and Christ alone was in Abraham in such a manner as to descend from him, not by seminal virtue, but according to bodily substance. Therefore he was not in Abraham so as to need to be healed, but rather as the balm with which the wound was to be healed. Therefore he did not pay tithes in Abraham's loins. Thus the answer to the first objection is made manifest. Reply to Objection 2. Because the Blessed Virgin was conceived in original sin, she was in Abraham as needing to be healed. Therefore she paid tithes in him as descending from him according to seminal virtue. But this is not true of Christ's body as stated above. Reply to Objection 3. Christ's flesh is said to have been subject to sin according as it was in the patriarchs by reason of the condition in which it was in his forefathers, who paid tithes, but not by reason of its condition as actually in Christ, who did not pay tithes. Reply to Objection 4. The Levitical priesthood was handed down through carnal origin, wherefore it was not less in Abraham than in Levi. Reply to Objection 4. The Levitical priesthood was handed down through carnal origin, wherefore it was not less in Abraham than in Levi. Consequently, since Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek as to one greater than he, it follows that the priesthood of Melchizedek, inasmuch as he was a figure of Christ, was greater than that of Levi. But the priesthood of Christ does not result from carnal origin, but from spiritual grace. Therefore, it is possible that a father paid tithes to a priest as the less to the greater, and yet his son, if he be a bishop, is greater than the priest, though not through carnal origin, but through the spiritual grace which he has received from Christ. End of question 31 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.